I love you, man. I love you too, bud. I love you, dude. I love you, bro, Montana. I love you, Holmes. I love you, Brosif Quiggles. I love you, Machacha. I love you, Tico Brohe. What is up, everyone? This is episode nine. Um, thank you guys for listening. We took a little break last week, and it's just been too long. I a little one-week hiatus. You can call it sabbatical. We studied. We yeah. learned about ourselves. We're back, though. Yeah, we didn't know what to do for one <laughs> night out of the week. So, but we're glad. Yeah, we're glad we're back. And this week, we have Mr. Alex Costa, the uh, would you say owner, co-owner, or? Yeah, I don't. I don't. We don't really prescribe a title. Um, I'm, I'm with the Mad Duck. I, uh, the Mad Duck. Yeah. <laughs> Which is now two locations. I made the name. <laughs> hey, I, honestly, that's probably the most powerful position ever because that's what you're referenced as. So I was going to say, where'd you get the name? Uh, the, the name's an anagram, actually, of the initials of some of uh, the the early people that we asked to join us and close family and friends. So uh, Mark, who's one of my closest friends, we, we met in fifth grade. We're still thick as thieves. He's the <laughs> M. I'm Alex. Uh, our our bar manager, Dustin, got two letters, D and D. Thank Dang. God his name wasn't Frank. <laughs> kind of <a> disaster. <laughs> <Map> duck. <laughs> and uh, um, Jacob Uribe, who's a... The the real brains behind the operation there uh, will never take a bow, but he he should. He uh, he only got a U in there because we needed a vowel. Yeah, then, I, I was uh, I was as soon as you started this, I was like, what is this U person's name? Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. thinking Ulysses. Yeah, for I sure. was going to go Ulysses as well. But James <laughs> Joyce was strong there, but no, that's that's not what happened. But, um, so so Jacob Urevi, and then my last name is Costa, and then we have my my wife who is named Christy with a K, which is wonderful. And it turns out that she gets to share that letter because when we were originally looking for investors, a really really good friend of ours named Cameron, whose name starts with a K, he came along and you know ended up saying yes to what we thought was probably a terrible idea. So he, he should get honorable mention in there. Dude, I would have never guessed that. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. have either. That's <laughs> how it came about. It's an I've anagram been of the names. This man. whole time. So. I don't remember any of the names because I'm just this whole time in my head I've been going, oh my God, oh my God, no way. What? I would have never guessed that. <laughs> so it, it, the the sad part of this is we actually just had to file a piece of paper with the state that that said what our company name was, and we hadn't thought of one yet. That was uh, the last thing. You can actually tell that we're crap at naming things by our beers. IPA, <laughs> stout. Um, we're working on this. but Simpler the better. <laughs> simply, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they know. It, you know it is direct marketing. But uh, that was what I had in front of me was all of these great people and their initials happened to be there because everyone had to initial something. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that spells this. So that's that's how it all came into being. (laughs) I love that. Happy accident. Well, then how did you guys come together? Because obviously someone in there wanted to start a restaurant, if not all you guys. Actually, not even that. Someone conceived this idea. How does a group of you people get together and decide, hey, this is something I'm passionate about and I want to do? So... That's we we actually we get this question a lot and it's it's near and dear to our heart because I don't really think anything's changed. Um, the difference between owning a restaurant, and working in a restaurant, just means you have to do it more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but um, you don't clock out when you leave. You don't yeah. clock out when yeah. you leave. There's no clocking out. No, this is the longest my phone's been off in a while. Got it. Yeah. Um, but we were all restaurant brats. Uh, Jacob, you know, had been in restaurants since he was fifteen. It, 
you know, working every position from Tony Roma's. I'd been in restaurants since I was 18, you know, started as a bathroom porter, um, you know, handing out towels and, and just mopping, uh, worked my way up to mopping yeah. the kitchen. That was, a, <laughs> hey. was a, quite the promotion. That's a stairway to heaven um, right there. But Dustin was the same way, would always been in there. Even my wife, Christy, who got the got the K in there, she was, uh, we met, you know, working in restaurants together. And all restaurant kids always talk, you know, when they're bitching about the jobs. We all talk about how we're going to do this. We can do it better. And these guys don't know what to do. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, as you're dude. half an hour late, hung yeah. over to work, you know, you, you know better than everybody. Um, so uh, we talk about this stuff all the so, time. So. Yeah, so we, it's always management. It's, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's always management's fault that, you know, I, I couldn't find my keys. Yeah. Uh, so we were we were that classic motley group. Um, not much has changed, unfortunately. For, <laughs> this, this will be a revealing episode, I'm sure. But yeah, um, when uh, when we we got into kind of my my mid twenties, Jacob and Dustin's early twenties, and they were the two that were really instrumental. And then my wife was in law school at the time, so she was starting to phase out of restaurants and uh, got a. I mean, she went full 180, became a law librarian for a little while. I mean, oh, that's about as far as you get from the restaurant. Yeah. Like, Holy shit. Um, but uh, I, I got real sick of management, you know, obviously, yeah. and, and went cold turkey and walked out. Didn't quit. Didn't really have the, you know, didn't, didn't quit. Just left. I'm just going to leave today. I'll be back tomorrow. I'm yeah. sick. <laughs> So, so I just left and uh, was walking up the street and called my wife and said, I left and I'm not going back. And she said, great, where are you? So she came and picked me up. And then in the car ride home, I said, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to start my own place. This was in 2008, by the way. So the economy was in a great shape. And and, uh, that was the perfect time. Yeah, to it was the perfect like, time. Oh, Everybody it. wanted to lend restaurants to a twenty-something yeah. <laughs> with no no borrowing history. So, um, but she she stuck with. I don't know if she was truly serious. Maybe she thought that I was like going to actually simmer down and go back tomorrow and just take a minute. But Either way, that's a true this. true <laughs> example of love, right there. Uh, yeah. So no, she stuck it out, and I uh, went to Jacob and Dustin shortly thereafter, and said, I'm serious. I'm going to do this. And they're like, okay, how can we do it? And, um, we, I, I read on it and wrote a business plan and talked to them every step of the way. And so when they weren't working, would meet at a Starbucks, we could drink literally one iced tea that everyone kind of had to share because it was $2 <laughs> at that point in time. We were on a tight budget, Understandable, <laughs> as you can imagine. And, um, over the course of 2008, we sort of developed, this idea of this this pub that we wanted to to make and we knew enough people kind of in the restaurant business to staff it we didn't really know much about the business side of it i was a philosophy and religion major and um i think dustin studied business which makes me think that he should have known about it <laughs> yeah that was folly this is a lot and, about the school uh, yeah yes yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and so we sort of learned as we went and 2009, we found the space, which is the original Mad Duck over at Herndon and Willow, and we drummed up enough money. No one would lend us any money, but we drummed up enough money between family and really close friends that were willing to take a risk. And Mark, how he how he came into being, my my oldest friend, I'm like, hey man, you know, I know that you have two little kids that are aged about 
three and one. And, yeah. you know, I've got this idea and we're probably going to lose it all, but I'd love for you to come in. <laughs> He's like, like this sounds like a great way to cash out some 401k. So, <laughs> so, uh, so he was the first and that kind of got the ball rolling and, uh, and it, it, it went from there and we, we raised the money and literally hand built the first place. We laid every brick ourselves and That's so dug sick. the plumbing ourselves. So it, uh, it was, sick. it was quite the adventure. And then in 2010, we were able to open and, uh, and I'll get going. So that was, what was that first year? Like, was it, Oh my God, that was, I'm sure it was scary. That was intense. Um, so neither Jacob and I took pay our, our first year. We, um, we worked for tips. In fact, Jacob still <laughs> slums it. Um, I shouldn't say slums it. He loves it, but he misses it. For those um, of you listening, please understand that if you're trying to open a business, that's completely normal. Yeah. <laughs> you do not, you do not take pay if you're if yeah. you're really going to approach it the right way. That's what I hear all the time. And from you live too. there. Like yeah, you're yeah. there from open so, to close. So we live there, and and yeah, uh, we we lived off of the tip. So it was you know it was a little eat what you kill, but uh, that got more complicated because my wife graduated from law school and was studying for the bar and was now I think pregnant. So it the intensity ramped up yeah. pretty yeah. quickly there, and. Um, so she also worked um, for free for tips for us. Um, actually, we had to pay her for for legal reasons. So she she yeah. was given one dollar. Um, <laughs> still income. I'll be perfectly honest. I think we may still owe it to her. Uh, um, so that first year, yeah, it was it was incredibly intense. But uh, you know, sometimes it's like an Aristotelian confluence of events. The universe is either working for you or working against you, kind of yeah. a thing. And that summer was blazing hot, uh, July of 2010. It was just awful. We opened in March. We had this great spring. I'm like, oh, my God, this is – we're home. You know, yeah. This is going so – three months into it. I'm thinking of a legacy. So yeah. <laughs> I, that was probably pretty I've arrived. But then in, uh, in, in July, reality sunk in. People are like, I have got to get out of this town. Yeah. Go to Shaver Lake or go no, to the coast or whatever that, happens. Yeah. You know, schools were done. Um, and and it, got, it got intense real quickly. And then the World Cup hit. And we're busy for the World Cup. And it was super exciting. And we thought we were going to go out. And there was this huge counterattack against Ghana spawned by this big back and forth where Donovan makes it across and shoots and Dempsey slides in. I remember that last kick of the game. Yes. Google mad duck Ghana equalizer. (laughs) And you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, and he's just thinking about this was at six six o'clock in the morning. This is all taking place. Only soccer can Um, bring that out at that time. And I, I the energy was like nothing I can ever remember, mm-hmm. and it was so loud that our our neighbors at Starbucks couldn't use the drive-through, yeah. because their our the noise from the restaurant celebrating was carrying through their back feed. So they came over because they thought it was on fire, and then oh the security gosh. guard from Best Buy came over to check on us as well. That's he so thought sick. That we yeah. were either being protested or picketed because there were a lot of people out front, um, and. When that happened, it was as if people realized that we were there. And yeah. so the World Cup went on. USA went out valiantly and I think a 4-3 loss to Germany. Yeah, dude, I remember that. Beautiful game, right? Uh, one of our best, best, you know, runs, best yeah. runs and really, really played an incredible round. 
And yeah, so we lost to Germany 4-3, but that game could have gone either way. And Damn. served out the rest of summer, and we made it through the first year, and everything was, was going well. Um, we had to eventually retire the wife out of service. She got so pregnant, she literally got stuck between two tables. I don't know <laughs> oh, if you're no. aware of the baby duck, but it, it's... It's quite narrow. It's built like a bowling alley. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, That's what um, I always remember. Yeah. And so she got she got stuck in there. And uh, we, we kept getting like weird looks. Like, I can't believe you're making her work. We're, we're, not, we're not making her. <laughs> She's, we can't tell her not to. You could you have know? increased tips at that point. So, uh, yeah, she was leaning she on that one work. pretty hard. This is so, her only option. Yeah, she's she's sharp. She leaned into that. Full <laughs> yeah. force. Um, but uh, so we made it through and... Um, so as I think right after the turn of our first year where it was very clear that we were, we were stable, we were going to be, to be fine here within our little moderate bubble that we had created was Mark, who I think came and said, I think we should start looking at being a brew pub and we had no money and we didn't know how to brew beer. So you guys weren't so, brewing beer when you first opened? We weren't brewing beer when we first opened. Mark had always been pushing for this, but once again, we had no money and didn't know how to brew beer. So. <laughs> I don't and, understand why that was an issue. Though. Yeah, that was, that was to him as well. Like Mark <laughs> couldn't wrap his head around it either. He was, he was very pro, we'll work this out. Um, thank God for him. And, yeah. and at this point in the Valley, remember in 2010, when we first opened, you could more or less have had 10 handles of Bud Light, Coors Light, and a Blue Moon. And you were considered a craft beer bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this didn't exist. They hadn't hit we yet. Were, right? Yeah. Dude, like Blue Moon um, was like, that, that was as crafty as we got in Yeah, town. that was, that was, you know, when you got into people who were in the upper echelons who really know what they were doing, they had uh, Fat Tire yep. and then the really, really savvy ones, Firestone DBA. Yeah. Still one of my favorite beers. Um, you know, that was it. But we had these outliers. You know, we had these guys who sort of saw this coming. You know, Kurt from BC's Pizza, for example, is a great example. Of, oh, yeah. He saw sure. the beer thing long ago, understood yeah. what European beer was. Um, so there were those outliers. But by and large, Fresno was was not really prepared for this. And um, so when we started the, the idea of the, the brewery, we literally wrote letters to everybody but Santa Claus trying to get beer <laughs> brought down to uh, – Brought down to the valley, we're trying to talk to Lagunitas, we're trying to talk to Racer 5, and everyone's like, mm-hmm. dude, we're not going to come down there and compete with Modelo, and you know, you guys are, you're a light beer town, you know, that's just where you are, you're in the valley. That's crazy, that's like a, that's a stat. It's, like, these companies yeah. see us as a certain type of beer. Yeah, absolutely. Town. All of us, you know, it's all of them, is a, is a people. Yeah, that's know? so right? crazy. Um, wow. And uh, so we eventually... We're able to get a a uh, distributor valley wide, much to their credit, and they got Racer Five down to go into the uh, the Red Robins in town because Red Robin was opening yeah. the third location way out on West Shaw at this point. And we went to Valley Wide and we said, "We want to buy all the Racer Five that Red Robin doesn't sell." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and so they're like, "Okay." Are there any other beers you're interested in? We have all these beers. I'm like, how come no one's ever showed us these before? Yeah. And so they had they had great beers. They had Alaskan Amber. They had some cool stuff in there, and no one had really been exposed to it. And so we started putting all these things on, and we shrunk everything down. I think we had Miller Lite, Bud Light, Coors Light, which was still a lot of the same beer, and, <laughs> and Blue Moon. 
It all came out of the same cake. It all yeah, came, yeah, yeah right. it was it was you know <laughs> couldn't tell. It's just what color do you want it? Yeah, you know, yeah. Do you want silver? Do you want blue? Or do you want white? Um, <laughs> and uh, we ended up putting on some different drafts. And I kid you not, uh, it was a little amber beer, um, Alaskan amber that took over the hearts and minds of the early craft beer consumer for Mad Duck. And Dang. they were the guests that just they're like, I can, I love this. It's mild. I'm really into it. And, so how did you know people were like biting, like that they liked that, that they were like, wait a second, this is different from the freaking college beer that I've been pounding for years. There's actually some flavor. Oh, that was that was easy because we saw them every day. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's, the the duck seats about fifty people, and you saw the same, you know, twenty five of them every single day. And then there were, you know, we only had a guest base of about a hundred people at this point. Um, so then, you know, the other 75 sort of filtered in and out throughout the week, but you were able to talk to him about it. And that was, that was where I really kind of developed a lot of our, I think our early philosophies about beer and especially about brewing was having those conversations with guests face to face across the bar or sometimes right next to him while we were sharing a pint and, um, and talking to them about what they liked and what they didn't like. And, and some of this was experimental for us, too. Uh, you know, I spent some time uh, abroad in England and really fell in love with English beers. It was, I think, one of the reasons I have such a such an affection for Firestone beers, because they have very much an English kind of twist on a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but it was very different coming into the craft beer market. You know, the first time I had really been exposed to Stone 10, yeah. you know, I feel like one of my eyes rolled back in my head <laughs> that, was, that was it that was an intense experience for yeah. me uh in a good way you know is uh I, I think of anthony bourdain used to talk about the moment he knew he wanted to be a chef was this summer where he ended up getting a dishwashing job in nantucket at at a horrible place called the dreadnought which i actually feel like i want to visit now <laughs> um, and he's like it was the first time i'd ever had an oyster and that was the moment in his time that he wrote that clarified his position about food and how excited he was about it. And those first times for me with craft beer, experiencing it with people, because I was new to it too. Yeah. Um, experiencing it was the, you know, the canary in the coal mine where I'm like, we're, we're going to do this. Like I'm, I'm actively wrapping my head around the fact that this is all roads yeah. will lead here. And Ended up going back to Mark and saying, okay, what are we, what are yeah. we going to do here? Is it hard making your own beer? Like, just getting in that process? Was it like, damn, this takes a lot of work? Or like, yeah. How many shitty beers did you go through before <laughs> you were like, okay, we can actually sell this legally? Well, let's think about that. Mark <laughs> and I tried to brew every day or every week, twice a week for two and a half years. Oh, my gosh. Dang. And it wasn't until I think the last probably seven months that Jacob became convinced that we had a prayer. So a lot (laughs) (laughs) is, I guess, the the, the answer. And uh, we had a very different view of, of brewing because I think we had a different of, and I I shouldn't say brewing, I should say home brewing. Um, Not because there's a huge difference between them, but the the mentality and the attitude of what you want to accomplish as a home brewer is different than what you want to accomplish when you're you're brewing at a restaurant or at a production brewery. Home brewers are passionately experimental, and they brew 
something once. And it's small, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they may never brew it again. It's like, oh, I got this idea, and it's going to be really cool, and they pull it off. And that one try, which is actually, I think, kind of more elegant than some of the other guys who yeah. are like, no, I just brew this one thing over and over and over and over and over. And, of course, you get really good at it. You yeah. Know? Um, and we came at it from the idea that we were going to evolve this specifically into a business. And if you look at our original list of beers that we wanted to create, it was, I don't know, 38 beers long. And uh, we we started with six. <laughs> so we didn't make it very far in yeah. our 38 beer <laughs> list. Um, but we stuck with a beer and we just brewed it over and over and over, yeah. making small tweaks until we until we got it, you know, yeah. until we had kind of proof of concept that this is going to work, like this isn't just total crap and mark's an engineer he's a mechanical engineer by nature and so he's the perfect guy for this because yeah. he's he understands the experimentation science he's not driven by flights of fancy he doesn't get a good buzz on and think that everything's cool yeah. um that's my job um <laughs> and so he was you know we'll change one variable and we're gonna brew it again because if we change two, we won't know which one impacted the beer in the proper way. Uh, okay. So it takes about 30 days from start to finish when you brew a beer to when it's ready to go into a glass if you're going for the effect that we were going for. So every time we brewed something, we had to take careful notes, and 30 days later, we got to see what the change was. And that was assuming that yeah. the weather didn't change or the air conditioner didn't break because we didn't really have fermentation control. That's <laughs> insane. So, it's such a science. Um, so yeah, that was that was a very difficult process. Um, so that was probably the first nine to ten months of doing this. You know, we started on a stove, or yeah, you know, it was uh, actually I think we started on a paella burner. No, yeah, we did. We started on a paella <laughs> burner in the backyard. Somewhere. Yeah, Dude. in the backyard, a couple of dogs. You know, you're fending out the fall yeah. off, and uh, <laughs> just what beer needs. You know, yeah, an open the air same burner, right? You we still have the same burner frame, right? We, we do. No, no, we still <laughs> actually make the paella on that burner. No more beer, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. but it's beautiful paella. Um, yeah, it was in the backyard under our under this, this hovel of a little patio that we had at the time, and. Um, as we as we got better and we sort of started to figure things out, um, Mark started slowly integrating more and more sophistication, and in ways that he could see already that this is where we're failing. And the thing that I can tell you about brewing is that every step of the process is a single point of failure. If you don't clean properly, the beer's done. You know, mm. if you don't mash properly or at the wrong temperature, and you're talking, you know, just a few degrees either way. Yeah. I want this to be. Lighter, more soluble sugars, you know, easy drinking. That's, you know, one temperature. I want this to be rich and robust with lots of, you know, body and flavor. That's three degrees higher. So, Dang. If, and is this just out there, public knowledge, or this is trial by error that you guys learn these things exist? Oh, we read a lot. Okay. I mean, everyone should read Charlie Propagian's Joy of Home Brewing. You know, it's just like if you want to cook, read Julia Child's Joy of Cooking. You know, it's it's those two okay. are, are the same the brewing thing. Now. Bible. And, um, and, and also, the home brewing community is just this incredible wealth of, of knowledge from people who are incredibly skilled and and incredibly generous with their information. And they learned this all the hard way as well. You know, a lot of bad beer, a lot of spoiled beer, a lot of bottles that exploded because you didn't measure for <laughs> CO2. Um, and reading their trials and tribulations and just trying to draw what, you know, what wisdom you can from the internet, which is, you know, we can all agree that yeah. sometimes that's a muddy <laughs> pool of water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, it's crazy That's now. Amazing. Like, I went to Target the other day, and they have like a little home brewing kit. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, yeah, even Target's hopping on it. Their, oh, I think their refrigeration it, yeah. department is deep on quote unquote craft beers. Mm-hmm. And it's just wild that it's so much a movement now. But almost to the point to where it is getting to the point where the people that are in there are almost too extreme about it. To where, like, <laughs> it comes up, like, people say it about CrossFitters, people say it about vegans, where you don't have to ask anymore. You're just like, how's your day going? <laughs> I love craft beer. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I'm sorry, what? I was just, the weather? And you're like, funny thing about the weather when you brew beer. It's, that's, it, we, we get a lot of <laughs> and that. And I, I love that. I think that's so funny to me. It's a deeply passionate bunch in, in a way that I have not been seeing. Uh, you know, it's almost zealotous where they are just, they are believers yeah. in yeah. their craft beer, you know? And that, that was needed. It's, it's, it's interesting that craft beer really rallied in a way that I've not seen other industries rally around what they perceive right or wrong as, as the great enemy. Yeah. Which is light commercial beer with bikini commercials. Yeah. And, you know, for whatever, you know, like it or hate it, they they found one foe and they pointed a lot yeah. of energy. Yeah, that's what it was. And yeah. uh, that's that's something I've not seen before. It was a real phenomenon, and it's not slowing down. Um, they, you know, I think they're running out of runway in some ways. They're going to have to figure something else out. But uh, but they are indoctrinated into this this belief of of flavor and experimentation, and it's really an incredible thing to be a part of and, and especially to kind of see through the passage of time, you know, yeah. when we started the brewery three years ago versus where it's at today and how that all works out. It's so funny because one of the first craft beers that I remember drinking and it was my favorite for a long time is Bell's point. And then they recently just got bought, got bought out by Corona constellation brand. Yeah. And it like automatically I'm like, I'm done with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their name sell outs, sell outs. You know, it's interesting you say that ballast point Sculpin was, uh, a that beer was... That, that inspired us to, um, to use a very specific hop that, uh, we use in several beers now. And, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like it was... that was my first craft beer that I like, I enjoyed. I'm like, dude, I can just drink this forever. And it's what got me turned on to all the other ones. It was the gateway drug. For me. Oh, there we go. That's a comparison. Yeah, yeah when, they, <laughs> when they sold, it was hard for me too. You know, it felt like finding out that you know your dad had just set up a little family somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, I never told you about it. And it was these metaphors are heavy that we're delivering. I, I, I right was now. crushed. I really was. We found out about it the day that it happened. We were actually at a craft brewers conference the day that that news hit. So the first day we were there, Ballast Point was a craft brewery. It was one of the clan. You know, we were all arm in arm. And the very next day, craft beer was owned by Constellation and Corona <laughs> yeah. and was not even in the building. And oh, my gosh. It was, it was an Jeez. intense experience. That's Dude. a lot of the politics to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they also sold for like a billion what, a dollars. Billion? Yeah. I mean, if I was the only, I probably would do the oh, same. Yeah. I, I oh, yeah. I honestly could say the same thing, I couldn't too. agree with you more on yeah. that. I, I always... I'm sort of stunned by the indignation of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was shocking to find out. I'm like, I thought we were all in this together, but no, I think about it. I'm like, yeah, I don't no, know, man. Definitely. A billion dollars. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to tell you all about it, but I just bought Belize and yeah. I'm just out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I actually own an island now, yeah, so you so, can insult me all yeah, you want, but I won't hear you. Yeah, you know, we filter you because I own the internet yeah. on my island. That's <laughs> only a matter so, of time. Um, but first, yeah, that was interesting. The first thing I thought with that too is how you because the craft brew the craft brewery community kind of united amongst the hate for one thing. Mm-hmm. 
hopefully you're not a Patriots fan, but the sports <laughs> community in uh, football kind of unifies against the hate against Tom Brady. That's, if you, that's if you're true. not a Patriots fan, you're like, well, as long as Tom doesn't win. And so it's funny. That's it kind of aligns to the same to where, you know, you're a Boston guy. This doesn't. I'm not. the. Oh. That's, I love the Red Sox, but I hate the Patriots. And for some <laughs> reason, in every single like major category, there's one thing that people can unify on. Mm-hmm. And even Patriots. in craft brewery, it's it, just it, like, it's, fuck the mainstream. Tear down tear down the big guy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the guy that 24 hours ago we just loved, you know. <laughs> when he won three Super Bowls, everyone thought he was amazing, you know. Five is way too Five. Much. But after that, it's like, this okay, guy's an chill, asshole. you, know? <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> oh, it's. Yeah, I know. I. Completely agree with that. It's a hilarious, actually, analogy to it. Um, do you ever get people like requesting the, that you have certain beers, and do you keep track of stuff like that to where you're like, okay, we've had this reach that number, let's get this in house? Um, actually, we do that through a different method than probably other breweries, and that's probably part of it is because of the restaurant uh, DNA that's within us. So uh, the brewery and and certainly the little one as well don't just carry our beers. We carry beers from lots of other breweries that we mm. really enjoy and we rotate them a lot. And a large part of that is because if w- there's a style that we don't brew or are uncomfortable brewing or just think that it's weird, uh, which happens, um, you know, like a smoked beer. Yeah. I mean, sure. There's a place for it, but <laughs> if I really want that, I'll just have ham. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, <laughs> It's, you know, it's it tastes just like introducing. Ham. We yeah. just added something. Just, to our yeah, menu. this is my ham <laughs> beer. Um, so there's certain things like that, um, and then we also uh, try and be a little more purist in the sense that certainly for our main lineup, we we absolutely believe in kind of the yeast, hops, water, and and barley and you know, the grain. You know, the four noble ingredients. So we try and stick with that, largely because I think that you can get interesting and dynamic flavors without sort of torpedoing that with yeah. well squeeze something in it yeah you know, you know that, um it's interesting that craft breweries often you know demonize corona that beer is only good if it has a lime in it but then we're making mango stuff yeah you know that, that seems somewhat disingenuous to me um so i'm i'm pretty conscious and a little sensitive to that hypocrisy actually so for us, when we have people to answer your question the long yeah. way, is we you know round the bases. We're coming into home now. Um, <laughs> Grand slam. I appreciate it. Uh, when people ask for things that are a little out of our our realm of our philosophical brewing style and, and thinking, we bring it in from another brewery who does it really well. And you know, it's not so much important that you love everything that we do, so much as we have something that you love. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we want your experience to be positive even if even if you're not a beer drinker yeah you know even if you just want an iced tea and a salad that's great you know even if you don't want an iced tea and a salad and you want four beers that's great yeah um but we need to have that that available to you and so if we're not going to do it we need to find the best guy who does it and give you something that's that's that way so that's how we do it but we do listen to that we do track it and we do listen to trends of people who are hey, I want to see something like this. And they're pretty vocal about it in the craft beer community. And that's another thing I was going to point out. Yeah, the community has no problem vocalizing. No, they're... And kind of... Because also it's from the same position, like, it's almost a hipster kind of thing to where, like, you want to be the one that discovered this. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, have you heard of so-and-so-and-so? Yeah, no, I have this one at home all the time. You should definitely look into it. Then they get to get credit for bringing that on the map. 
So it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were kind of vocal about what they want you guys to have. So, and usually it's, I mean, it's great for us too, because we're not going to taste every single beer. Well, yeah. Um, you know, we, we go to the great American beer fest every year. In fact, we're going again, probably the, the when I think it's the end of September and our first year going we're like it's 28,000 beers. It's four days. We can do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> The Germans are laughing at you guys. Holy shit. That was <laughs> that was a very long day one and two. And then day three and four, we just went back to the places we really liked from day one and two. Yeah, and totally. Oh, so, you know, it's the, the overwhelming amount of, of beer. And, is, and, and certainly recently it's become really – there's a lot of really good small beer. And I think that craft brewers um, – and we're no exception to this. We, you know, we certainly had our struggles in the beginning. And I think that we – continue to have uh, certain struggles we just have the luxury of pouring it down the drain <laughs> if, if it's if it's crap um before there was a rule in the backyard if you made a bad beer you had to drink it all that encouraged us to not make bad beer it's oh, motivation yeah. Um, I understand. yeah it's you know flagellation you just hammered away at yourself <laughs> you know? so, um but now um even the tiniest of places is tending to put out some pretty serious quality and that's causing you know, real, and you're seeing this within the industry right now. You're seeing, you know, kind of the the cream rising to the top, yeah. and and um, it's it's transitioning from sort of a burgeoning, which you were saying, hipster industry mm-hmm. to a really mature mainstream industry where quality's king, yeah, and, and it should be, and consumers should demand the best beer that they can get, and it shouldn't just be eclectic. Um, it can be eclectic and great, but it can't just be eclectic, yeah. and. That was one of the things that worried us about getting into some of those more bizarre beers that were way out there. What's your favorite beer right now? That we're brewing? Um, both. You're brewing and... that's a. I actually get this question every now and again. I think it's a great one, to be honest. My, my usual answer is my favorite beer is the one in front of me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm very much a situational drinker in... In the sense that I can find a reason to drink in every situation, but uh, <laughs> but which is which is good, you know, yeah. it's what you what you want in your beer guy. But uh, in in an environment like this where we're talking beer and we're especially talking the roots of craft beer, I really want to be inspired by. It. And I, I love a great pale ale. I love our Citra. Uh, I know that mm-hmm. sounds like I'm just promoting Citra, but I, I I love this beer. And often when we go out of town, I long for it. So I don't know if. That's the definition of a problem, but it's probably right on the borderline. <laughs> and then, um, you know, when we when we go other places, when we're in extremely hot weather, I really gravitate towards towards lighter styles. And certainly in the you know early parts of the afternoon, I'll gravitate towards lighter styles. Lagers and pilsners, I absolutely love. Um, there's a brewery, I think it's called Leaky Creek. I think it's up in Sacramento. Yeah, that has yeah, had one of, of the the best uh, pilsners I've ever ever had in my entire life. Um, that, and I still look for it. And they're not big enough for me to get it down here. But um, and then there's places up in I think Fort Point in in San Francisco mm-hmm. is making some incredibly good beer that I've absolutely fallen in love with. And then yeah. you know you get your one off, your outliers. We're all well. I've only had this beer one time and. It was amazing. Yeah. Never going to have it again. Can't remember the they name. They don't sell but, it in uh, stores. The one night stand of beer. Yeah, that's say. exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> but the, 
But I don't think I can answer the fact that I have a favorite because it, it, it tends on mood with me. It tends yeah. on environment. It tends totally. on what I'm eating. You know, if, you know, am I going to be outside for 10 hours Weather? today? Yeah. All right. Let's have nine of these. You know, I mean, is, <laughs> yeah. is it, you know, is it the end of the night or is it 14 degrees? We're only having one. Um, you know, when we were getting the brewery started. I spent a lot of the time in Colorado as I, I wasn't really equipped for what minus 20 men. <laughs> and, um, it, it was where I really became accustomed to regional brewing traditions where their beers are much maltier, yeah, a little higher alcohol, a um, little less hop forwards. They're a little rustier in, in lots of parts of the flavor profile. And that sort of blew my mind in a lot of ways. I'm like, why is that? I'm like, well, it's fucking cold here. <laughs> of course they're brewing, you know, a six and a half percent alcohol yeah. stout, you know, it's, of course they are. And, um, of course they want more malt, more body in their beer than we yeah. do in Fresno. It's 106, yeah. you know? And so, uh, so that started a real passion to look around different parts of the country and get out of my California bubble at different beers that I really love because in California we're so spoiled with great we're like choice. California has slowly in like with San Diego being almost like the Mecca, but like California is mm-hmm. like the king oh, yeah, yeah. of craft it's, brewery. Mm-hmm. And San Diego created th- th- its own style. You know, the West yeah. Coast IPA is, is still, I think one of my favorite styles. I know a lot of people say the sun is setting on it. I don't agree with that, but no, uh, I fight them. It's the only way to solve things. I think it's, it's unbelievable. You're drinking one here today. And it's so good. I'm pretty proud of that one actually. So, <laughs> It's damn good. Yeah, he brought us some do these growlers that you brought us. How how do you fight the beer belly? That's this the the lifetime question right there. Most people that are just passionate about beer, like just you can tell cuz you don't have to hear it from them, you can look at them. But you would never be able to tell that you're passionate about beer. Is there a secret to it all, or what's going no, on? No, no, I'm sure it's coming. Trust me, I'm, <laughs> I'm slow time. playing a lot of you. Um, <laughs> it's you know, wife included. Ah, there we go. But uh, no, it, uh, it it's definitely something that you're always sort of conscious about. Not necessarily the beer belly, but the what the brew pub and the and the restaurants and the industry is in general that. Um, it's, it's something for me that you can look at it and you can say, this is an incredible life and it's difficult and it's exciting and it's fast paced and you're part of something that, that is unique, which I love. But if you're not careful, it will extract an incredible price. And that is something that I think um, certainly restaurant owners can testify to, certainly bar owners can, but it is not lost on me in the, in the beer world. And now that's a little somber and a little sober for what we've been talking about, but it's, yeah. you know, that was a good life lesson to learn early on. You got to pick and choose your vices. And um, that for me just couldn't be one of them. Yeah. It's like I grew up, so my dad, he still owns a bar in Visalia and it's just a, uh, and I grew up with that and it's a fine line and it's like, Yep. Am I working? Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or am I just hanging out with the guys at the bar, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally get it. Um, do you have any sort of education you provide with the employees in regards to the beers? So, just talking points. So oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, um, th- that's, that's another excellent question. Um, a large part of... <laughs> Poor Mark. Uh, he's been fighting an uphill battle about beer culture within the brew pub <laughs> That's a for, whole thing. for a little while. And, uh, <laughs> Mark's like the ultimate pragmatist, you know. I don't understand why. Um, <laughs> I'm like, well, because, you know, the kids, man, they're doing other shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
you know, making people aware of, and not just our beer. And we, we definitely try with our education process to teach them just about, about beer. And I did a, a volunteer class where the staff could show up on Friday and I'd bring donuts and would talk about the history of beer. We'd talk about the ingredients of beer. And that worked really well for about a month. And then everyone's like, I'm absolutely not coming here at nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah. to sit here and listen to you talk about the history of beer from yeah. the <laughs> ancient Egyptians. <laughs> so um, that was when I sort of learned exactly how cool the staff thought I was. Uh, <laughs> right there, that moment. That moment. That was a, that was a pride-swallowing siege. <laughs> but uh, um, so we backed off that, and so we went to more written documents. But the staff gets um, an, an ever-expanding um, written document about not just our beer, but about how it fits into this category of beer that it belongs to. And um, it's for them to sort of read and be a part of it. And then the best part of educating your staff about beer is making sure that they're enjoying it and, and experiencing it, not because you're telling them to, but because they're starting to realize the same way that I did when I was sitting across the bar, you know, having an Alaskan Amber, what, what beer can be and what it means. And, and that doesn't just stop with beer, certainly not within our, our restaurants. It, you know, that needs to spread to, to food too. It's like, what, what do you mean you're not a fish person? Have you, have you, yeah. What fish have you had? I mean, yeah. there's you like, you know, there's different kinds of fish. Like, Talk to my wife, please. Is it Long John Silver's or, you know, yeah, like, is, it, is it ahi? Like, what do we, you don't like sushi? I mean, that's, oh, there's other kinds of fish out there. You get all there's other ways to prepare it as well. So, um, so pushing that, you know, idea that it's passionate experimentation and, and uh, that really come, you know, our, our philosophy that comes from Robert Heinlein who, talked about uh, moderation is for monks to enjoy all the flavors of life take large bites and for us it's take large bites and large gulps sip and savor i like it like you could write your own bible for this story <laughs> honestly yeah, when's your book come the out, book dude? of alex <laughs> verse six nine right so yeah verse six nine that's exactly correct it's the only so, verse you have call an uber yeah <laughs> verse six seven <laughs> so <laughs> Um, in regards to the food aspects of your restaurant, who is there a mastermind behind that, or was it all just like, oh, I enjoy this type of food, let's put these ingredients on? No, that, that's a carefully cultivated conversation, um, and there are a lot of things that I think that we've tried and, and failed at for reasons that sometimes I don't fully understand, but the food can be a couple of things the food can be what you're super passionate about and what you want to thrust onto people and you can do that in a couple of places but you better pick and choose your battles because if your restaurant ends up becoming about the food that you like you better spend a lot of money in your restaurant because (laughs) if it isn't what everybody else likes you don't have a restaurant so that's a difficult um thing to square up with sometimes uh where it's hey I think this is cool, ergo everyone should think it's cool, is the natural mentality. But that's definitely not the way that it actually goes. We're very blessed in the sense that we have a wonderful executive chef who's been with us virtually since the beginning. Um, uh, His name's Mario. He's an incredible guy and an incredible hard worker and trained in multiple different culinary schools. You know, he can do coastal Mexican, he can do French, he can... So he's all over the board, which is which is fantastic. I don't know how, but you know, half the time we're really busy, and you go see him, and he pokes his head out. Oh, hey, how's it going? There's like 19 tickets in the window. You're like, (laughs) 
little busy now. You know, I got a seven year old at home. He tries talking to me. I'm making eggs. Yeah. I'm making eggs. You know, so you see it. It's in front of you. Yeah, you know, like, don't bother me. I can't do two things at once. So uh, th- we're very clearly cut from different cloth on that one. But, yeah. uh, but. You know, we'll come up with an idea or or a plan, and this is a pretty collaborative environment. Sometimes it's from guests who suggest things. Sometimes it's from our travels where mm. we'll find things that we really, really love, and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk to Mario about it. And generally, this is after about a month of me making pretty pretty bad renditions of it at home and telling Jacob about it. Oh, I just made this, and if I could only do this right, he's like, just have Mario make it. And... Uh, <laughs> And so I'm determined, and th- this also helps keep down the beer belly. You know, if you make really terrible food at home, then, yeah. uh, you're much less likely to eat it all. Yeah. Um, but uh, then we eventually go to him with the idea, and the other thing that I have learned the hard way is the difference between me making something that's really awesome for four people in my kitchen and the difference between Mario making it for 197 people who walked in all at once is a very, <laughs> very different yeah. Oh, my God. So... Um, that uh, that really tempers how far out you know yeah. you want to get, um, and there there are certain fights that you you can choose, and there's certain fights that you're gonna lose. But it's it's we're stable enough now, and I think that our menu's moving in the way that I'm I'm very very proud of it right now, especially because it's it's moving away from just burgers, or it's definitely moving away from anything, you know, brew pubs are always pigeonholed with it's fried, you know, it comes out yeah. of the bag. And, uh, that is something that we've never done. We're never going to do. And I think that if you stick with the principle that fresh is better, yeah, you're probably heading down the right path, regardless of what mm. you're going to do. Uh, so that's where we're at with, with how the menu's going and the development aspect of it is much more collaborative with a lot of input from a lot of different people. Um, and sometimes articles, you know, yeah. you read about a great, a great chef producing something and the New York times writes about it. Oh, why, why can't we try this for a day? You know, as a special and mm. they're like, well, you know, it's a turducken. So that's kind of labor intensive. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Oh, uh, well, I don't know. I didn't realize what deboning a Turkey was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So those are those are things that go into it, but um, yeah, the menu development is definitely a collaboration between between a lot of people. Your guys's buffalo chicken dip, oh my gosh! Oh, that is sinful, right? I think it's a lot of things on there. Your your tater tots, no one does tater tots except for Sonic. The tots and you do them better than Sonic. I'll say it. That's a Dustin. Dustin was the one who came back with a lost art. Thank God for Dustin. Yeah, he came back from somewhere, and I'm sure I'm sure he was drinking. And God bless him. But uh, (laughs) tots, he strolled in and he said. We gotta do tater tots, and I don't even think it showered. And it was, it, you know, it was one of those moments where like, how did no one think of this? You know, it was so nostalgic. Yeah. This is awesome, Dustin. So, if you're listening, yeah. cheers, cheers, cheers to, you. to Dustin on that. Dude. Cheers to Dustin on that. Um, as someone who's been in the restaurant business for as long as you can remember, it's a constant debate, and you don't have to touch on it if you don't want to. But I'm curious to get your input because that's I feel like an industry I never got to be a part of. But it kind of this topic touches on it tipping mm-hmm. what's your position on tipping um it, it's a hot button issue right now in in the industry i absolutely don't think that there should be a gold standard for it i think that it should be money earned if you yeah, want to leave I something totally agree with that, yeah. if you want to leave something for somebody who's done an exceptional job 
I absolutely think that uh, you should do that. I, I, I do. Um, I don't think that you should feel that you have to. Okay. I think that that is, that is money earned through great service. And I think that on the opposite side of that, that um, that person should absolutely bear in mind that this was not something that they did completely by themselves on their sole merit and and incorporate their fellow staff workers who worked with them to make a great mm-hmm. experience yeah. great mm-hmm. um, so that it isn't, you know, one group of people making $35, $40 an hour and one group of people making 15 to $20 an hour. That, And it, it's not that I want equal equal pay throughout. I yeah. absolutely am a firm believer in that excellence rises to the top and that, you know, if you work with honest and hardworking people that treat you fairly, that you're going to get a fair shake. I really do. And I'm particularly colored by that because we will do that. Um, I can't speak for everybody else in the industry, but, um, I, I don't believe in, um, the idea that that should go away. If I know that a lot of other restaurateurs are sort of banged to that drum where we're just going to charge everybody more and, you're going to pay for the raises that I give to everybody. Yeah. That is an equally kind of crappy stance, right? Mm -hmm. At least it's now in the hands of the, of the guest to determine Mm -hmm. whether or not the performance of the restaurant, the wait staff, the cook staff, the management was worth the extra bit. And that should remain in their hands. It shouldn't be, we're going to charge you 20%. Just for sitting down. Well, what's the logic of that whole? I've noticed a lot of places do it. Eight people or more, automatic tip is put gratuity in. Gratuity is included. Yeah, what's the, I've the, always wondered. The automatic gratuity that goes into it. Um, a lot of that is, I, I think, a, as a server, as a guy who did this, uh-huh. um, and that's why I want to know. I'm always been curious. It's it's a highly labor intensive experience to to serve a party of uh-huh. eight. So let's just say I had five tables of four. Those five tables of four are 20 seats. My party of eight is actually the equivalent of probably 16 seats mm. because of varying drinking speeds, because of the complexity of timing the food that comes out, and a number of other uh, split checks can can factor into that. So I actually lose other tables to take that party. Oh. Those are taken away from me gotcha. in, in an efficient operation. Okay. Um, they should be anyway. To make sure that that party is well taken care of. So if you go through all of that and they leave 10%, that person, I don't, I, don't, I mean, it's war. You know, yeah. it's <laughs> yeah. it is, and, and, and it's, I've been in that position, you know, it stinks, you know, and it's, it's tough. But um, one of the things I always say to people when this happens, and it's always a hard lesson to learn, you know, when you're 22, that you felt like you did a great job and everybody complimented you mm-hmm. and you were expecting something and at the end of the day it didn't come. Well, yeah, <laughs> you're an adult. Like, so well, I'm, unfortunately, here. this is gonna this is gonna keep yeah. going. You this know, is not and, the uh, only venue this will happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you know, I, I gotta I gotta say this, and I hope you really understand what it means. Is you're here to provide service. You're not here to argue over the monetary merit of that service. Yeah, you need to provide a great job, whether they're giving you nothing or whether or not they're giving you fifty percent. Your standard of work should never decrease. Yeah. And like that. that's something that I think the wait staff needs to keep in mind. Because I have a friend, and he always brings, and he doesn't tip. I haven't talked to this friend in a long time, but I remember anytime he'd go out, Justifiably he's like, so, if he doesn't and, tip. And he was, 
and he was like, I mean, they're doing their job and they're getting paid for their job. I'm not going to pay them extra. I don't go to my work and demand extra, which I get his point, I guess, sort of. Um, but I see, I've seen it more often now when people like, I'm not going to pay you extra for doing your job. Like, I don't get paid extra for doing my job. I just get my hourly wage. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is what you signed up for. But at the same time. What some people don't consider, though, is when you're a waiter, your hourly wage is not the same as a traditional, exactly. right? Unfortunately, that is not true in California. We're one of the few places in the state where that isn't, or in the country where that isn't true. Okay, your, so your hourly wage is the same, which is actually something California needs to address, in, in, in my opinion. If... Um, you know, for example, if you go to Nevada, your hourly wage is going to be $2.50 an hour if you're a tipped employee. That's insane. Like, that's what it is. But the compromise here is very simple. Where, you know, Colorado is another good example. I think it's about $5 an hour in Colorado if you're a tipped employee. So the compromise is extremely simple among employees. And why we can't figure this out, I, 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 I don't understand. And that kind of segues into a whole different, like, yeah. random conversation about Sacramento. But um, <laughs> the people will feel very passionate about one way or the other. But, um, if I'm an employer, which I am, and I have a waiter or a waitress who's working for tips and I'm paying her $5 an hour and minimum wage next year will be 12 and at the end of the day, because you know, all their credit card tips are reported, or they better be, yeah, um, you know, 90-something percent comes around credit cards, which you already you know, yeah. report. But um, at the end of the day, if that only averages out to $10 an hour for which she works, why isn't it then my responsibility as an employer to make up that $2 difference so that she's making minimum wage? Mm. But if she ends up making $17 an hour or $20 an hour, yeah, then no harm, no foul. You divert that extra money back to other people who aren't making tips to increase their wages above that poverty threshold. You know, that's that's a pretty simple compromise. And the reason I know that it is is because literally just about every other state does it. So, yeah. Um, good old California. Yeah, good old California. <laughs> but, and, you know, the, I understand that that's going to be a controversial position to take. And I'm not arguing that it should be taken for for every position in every restaurant. I don't think that one size fits all works well, um, both positively and negatively. But – uh, it it should be stated that there's an option there, and I think that there's a lot of wisdom to be had in making sure that everybody doesn't. You know, if everyone's making the same wage, and some people are making just a killing, and some people are just making a wage, and we don't have laws in order to distribute that amongst mm-hmm. our other staff members, we can't do that. Um, we should have laws in order to make that at least the availability of equity between yes. between those two groups. Yeah. And that would make sense to me. I would vote for that. I would I would absolutely vote as a business owner that if somebody is not making you know the minimum wage and tips that I should be responsible on payroll to make it up. And if I don't, I spent that money, you know, that's yeah. a big problem. And totally. I'll be perfectly honest, that problem solves itself because that person's not getting paid either way. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like glad guy. I opened that box. Yeah. <laughs> but we are reaching a uh, time where we should probably sum it up. My yeah. question for you is, is there, one, anything you want the public to know about the future of Mad Duck? And two, the question I always like us to ask is, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? Oh so you God. can go whichever order you'd like. Probably Boy. the what would you be doing then, the future of Mad Duck? Yeah, sure. what would I be doing if I wasn't doing this? 
You know, I have I have no idea. I'm, <laughs> and that sounds like a terrible answer. And no, I, I love honesty more yeah. than anything in this world. I, I, it's interesting you ask this question. I'm moving right now, so I'm literally packing every single possession that I own, and uh, it's just incredible number of pieces of crap that there's no reason that it should still be with me. After oh, all moving will make you realize that more than yeah. Like, it's why incredible. do I own this? And <laughs> you know what it is is I, I I'm looking at uniforms that I I still have from restaurants that I worked in 14 to 18 years ago, 2000. I have a, I have a shirt from a restaurant I worked in in 2000. I've got a pretty solid inkling that I'm not going back there, you know? Um, so I'm not, I'm not certain that I, you know, that that answers the question, but if I wasn't doing this, I would say I'd be, I'd be looking for another way to to make my way in the world just like this, yeah. Um, in a way that we could do it together, the staff, my friends, my family, their families. Um, it's a very cooperative environment where where we are now. It's something that's unique to the work that I've done prior to being with the Mad Duck, and now that I've had a taste of it, I don't think that I could go back to an environment that was totalitarian again. I would have to find another way. Yeah. I think you can always tell, and this is a common theme, that the people we talk to are in the right place is because they literally can't think of doing anything else. Yeah. You I, guys, I anyone we've yeah. ever talked to, they cannot think of doing anything else. And they really, really stumps you when we ask that question. That's, and I just like asking at this point to make sure and reassure, like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing, he loves what he's doing, and he wouldn't rather do anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the perfect answer. So That's that what mean, I wanted to hear. My wife asks me every now and again, you know, what's what's happening? And it's it's an interesting question because, you know, I I, I live with the idea that one day the other shoe is going to drop. You know, you can't take it for granted. You have to work as, as hard as possible. You, you have to keep in mind that the other people who work for you come before you do. Mm-hmm. You know, you take money last. Yeah. And, yeah. and everybody else gets it first. And so you... You know, they're, they all have families and they, they all have things that they're trying to do. And they've put a great deal of faith in us to be able to provide for that. And they're working, you know, they're, they're not sitting there with their hand out, they're working hard. Mm-hmm. And so you go to fear or go to bed with fear in the night that, you know, you're not one day, you're not going to be able to provide and you wake up with fear in the morning that you're not going to be able to provide. And, and, um, thankfully that's, that's never been the case. It's always, you know, been going in the right direction, but even given that set of circumstances, I can't imagine doing anything else. Solid. Cool. So, and I'm sure a lot of people have already caught wind of this, but you guys are opening a third location, correct? We are, yeah. At, it, at it, Herndon and Marks. Um, yes, that it's dude. been a, a West full Side. time <laughs> right, out, man. right now. So we are, we are in the throes of that. Um, we're very, very fortunate to um, meet, meet a group that was willing to work with us in a location that we really wanted where we could do original construction and, and get a space that would suit us. Um, are you yeah. guys going to brew beer there? We are going to brew beer there. Yeah. It's going to be a brewery there. Cool. Consistency. Um, yeah, it goes back to it. I don't think we'll ever do something where we're not, or it's just a restaurant again. I think that, uh, those days are, are behind us now. We are yeah. one thing, which is this, this, this brewing thing. Our, our, in fact, one day we'd love to do spirits as well. I think that that, that may come. Yeah, you know, it's, you've got to get that. all your vices in one hey, place. Heard it here you know, first, we're, okay? we're a yeah. casino away from yeah. basically yeah. having a monopoly. <laughs> um, we last 10 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so we're going to be brewing beer there. It's going to be smaller than the brewery. Um, 
one of the things that I really love about about the baby doc is how intimate, how neighborhood oriented mm-hmm. it is. It's, it really stands with its community. You know, we're we're constantly you know giving to the local little league and the you know the the Buchanan teams that are out there, like which that. which we absolutely love because they're the ones who come in. You mm-hmm. know, it's the the coaches come in after the game, and yeah. you know the kids come in after t ball and they're playing, and and uh, you have a responsibility to support the people who are supporting you. Yeah, and. So this place in Northwest Fresno will be a little more geared, I think, in in that direction. Cool. The brewery, God bless that place. I love it to death. But it is, it's a busy giant, yeah. and it was it was meant to be. It, you know, it's on Fresno State's campus next to the Save Mart Center. It was our first brewery. It had to be big enough for it to support itself. Yeah, um, it was a big gamble. Um, worked out well, but yeah, I think that'll be the last of our enormous mm. and i don't want to you know who knows what the future is no. i get but it yeah. yeah we want to embed more into smaller parts of the community where we can be a place and where we know the first 25 people who come in yeah you know, the way that it was no in like the beginning. That. that makes sense cool well alex dude thank you for coming on and bringing us these sick <laughs> dude yeti growlers gigantic so dope if I'm you buy one of them every saturday actually go ahead and say what the deal is Oh, so it's it's every Saturday. It's twelve dollars to fill them. And how many ounces? Sixty four. Sixty four. So it's four Dude, pints. Do the math yourself. Yeah. It's robbery, and the cops will not stop you. And, yes. <laughs> and then um, any other day is is just fifteen to fill the growlers. So it's it's one of those things where if you want fresh beer, they they'll hold. You know, they, those things keep temperature real well. They'll hold for a couple of days. But if you want fresh beer for a weekend, and you don't have time to get out and go to another yeah. and and. We're not the only brewery who does these, by the way, guys. <laughs> Lots of great breweries around here. Fresh is better. Remember the mantra, fresh is better. <laughs> Fill your growlers. Sweet. So. Well, Alex, dude, thank you for coming by. Solid stuff. Dude, so cool. good. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, and everyone who's listening, thank you guys for listening. We love you guys. Um, and like I always <laughs> say, just be nice to one another. Spread the love. Um, we'll catch you guys next week. See you later. I love you, man. I love you too, bud. I love you, dude. I love you, bro, Montana. I love you, Holmes. I love you, Brosif Gwiggles. I love you, Machacha. I love you, Tico Brohe.